0: Well, good morning. Um, my name is Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC. And uh, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 10. We are going to read, um, starting in verse 11, but this is really kind of, uh, if you were here last week, this is sort of part two of the uh, the passage we looked at last week, um, where Jesus, we're in this series where we're looking at the I Am sayings. There are seven or eight places in the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, I am, and uh, last week we looked at uh, where he says, I am the door. And uh, this is really the, uh, the, the part two of that passage, where he says, I am the shepherd, um, where he really continues to explain uh, what, he, what he started talking about last week. We talked about um, what does it really look like to follow Jesus. And, uh, and we saw that uh, to follow Jesus, we need to know that, he is, uh, that, that we are sheep. And that he is the one that we follow. He is our Lord. And so we're continuing that with part two this morning. So let me invite you to stand with me as we give our attention to God's word. We are going to read John 10, starting in verse 11. Jesus says this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is God's word. Let's pray together. Oh God, would you be near to us now as we uh, turn, as we pause in the midst of our busy lives and schedules to give our attention to your word. God, would we um, know your presence. Would we know uh, you as our comforter, as our shepherd, we pray, Jesus. You may be seated, please. Well, this week, our family, the Hales family, got a new car. And uh, let me just say, by the way, thank you for your concern over the last several months. One of the common features of a Sunday afternoon for me has been getting a text from one of you saying, hey, did you know that your taillight is out? Hey, did you know your brake lights are out? Hey, did you know your minivan is falling apart? And yeah, we've known for a while. um, uh, Carl texted me, Carl Messenger texted me last week and said, your taillight's still out. I'm like, the car's not going to survive the week, Carl. Like, don't. I'm not paying 40 bucks for the taillight. But uh, <laughs> all that to say, we finally got a new car, which means that I spent several hours this week playing games with salesmen. And it occurred to me that, you know, the idea of driving a new car is awesome, but the experience of buying a new car is not awesome <laughs> at all. Um, One salesman said to me this week, I said, you know, my goal is just to get the lowest monthly payment. And he said, well, you know, uh, the the most we can do that, but the most important factor is the down payment. And I'm like, come on, we both know here the most important factor in the monthly payment is the actual price of the car, right? Not how much I put down on it. Uh, But, you know, there's just this idea of like, you're just playing games, Uh, So, you know, it's like, I'm sitting here, I'm getting this new car, it's great, but it's also, it just feels like, am I getting conned? Am I I paying too much? Um, The idea of driving a new car sounds awesome. The experience is, you know, not all that's cracked up to me, maybe. Uh, I think that life is often like that. The idea of something often seems much more exciting than the reality of it turns out to be. You move into a new house or you're planning to move, or you're thinking about moving into a new house, and you're like, this is gonna be great, but the price tag kind of just saps some of the joy of the experience. It's not awful, but it isn't all that you hoped it would be. Uh, You know, summer is coming, if you didn't know that, and kids are getting out of school, and uh, soon, and many of us are looking forward to kind of warm days and relaxed schedules and maybe vacations, and it's gonna be great. I have such high hopes going into every summer, but we also know uh, that, you know, in six or eight weeks, the relaxed schedules and the kids being out of school is going to begin to wear on us a little bit, won't it? And by the time August rolls around, we will be talking about how much we love the structure that school provides, um, this hope of the ideal summer uh, in theory, it sounds great. In practice, it never quite seems to live up to reality. And so, or, uh, yeah, so we live in this kind of cynical age where we almost prejudge everything. Like, it's like, yeah, we know it's, 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 it's not going to live up to, uh, to the hype. Um, and we kind of go into every experience. We're kind of used to this idea now that reality often fails to meet our expectations. But there is one person who is even better in reality than he is in theory, and that is Jesus. And in this passage, we get a look at uh, what it looks like to understand who Jesus is as a person instead of just an idea. In this series of seven or eight places in the Gospel of John, where Jesus makes an I am statement, He's, de- he's telling us who He is. Uh, there's only one place where He describes Himself by referencing another person. Um, you know, he, he he said, I am the light, I am the bread. Um, I am the door, I am the vine, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to look at it in a couple of weeks. But there's only one person that he uses to describe himself. And in this passage he says, I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And I think that when we we kind of dive in and unpack this a little bit, what we see is that um, for many of us, for many of us we just kind of think of Jesus as an idea. And uh, even when our idea of Jesus is informed by the Bible, it still lacks something in comparison to the real thing. Uh, Jesus is a person. Jesus isn't just an idea. He's a person. You know, if Jesus is an idea, we may think of him as loving and gentle. But an idea will never correct us. An idea cannot forgive us. An idea cannot care for us. An idea cannot take our burden from us. Jesus as an idea cannot um, ease our anxiety. Jesus as an idea cannot forgive us or protect us. But Jesus is not just an idea. He's a person. He's alive. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. You know, our church is a Presbyterian church, and really what that means is, it means that we believe in shepherds. Uh, the word presbyter uh, means, in Greek, it means elder. or An elder is a, is a shepherd, a shepherd or a pastor. Um, and uh, and so because we're a church plant, we're a new church, we, we don't have uh, our own official elders at our church yet. And yet we do have sort of, uh, well, I guess you could say I'm sort of the, the lead under-shepherd here, and we have other uh, people who, kind of, in an informal capacity, um, shepherd our church—Carl Messenger and Sam Pepke and Jason Reed and and Trevor Allen—is here now, and, and and all of us get to uh, get to labor and work as as shepherds, but none of us is the good shepherd. Um, each of us will let you down, and if 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 you have not been let down by me yet. Uh, this is probably your first time here. <laughs> um, just just wait, you know? Um, but our job as shepherds, as under-shepherds, is simply to lead you to the Good Shepherd. That's, that's why I'm here. That's why, that's why we're all here. Our job is to lead you to the Good Shepherd. Jesus is the Good Shepherd, and he is not just an idea. He is a person. And so I wonder if you know him. I wonder if you know him the person of Jesus, not just, ah, oh, there's this guy, Jesus, It sounds like a great idea, I, I believe things about him. Do you actually know him? You know, over the years, there have been um, many people that have talked about God as an idea. Theologians and philo- philosophers have argued about how you can know, how can you really know that God exists? And so about a 1,000 years ago, there was a guy named Anselm, and Anselm came up with, he thought this was going to be the most brilliant um, way to demonstrate to everybody definitively that God exists and he came up with this theological, philosophical idea called the ontological argument for the existence of God and uh, the ontological argument for the existence of God uh, it's, it's only one sentence it says this, God is a being than which no greater can be conceived God is a being than which no greater can be conceived isn't that moving? <laughs> um, it's it's probably true. It, I mean, unless unless the thing that you can't think of anything greater than is like your cat, but um, you can think about that. And it sort of like bakes your noodle, but it doesn't it doesn't move you. It doesn't call forth our love or compassion, our affections or our allegiance. It leaves us with a god who's just an idea. And so whether your kind of experience of god is just you know, kind of these heady arguments, or if it's like the spirituality of Oprah, what all of these things have in common is that they leave us with a God who's just an idea. But Jesus is a person. He's a shepherd. And as a shepherd, he knows his sheep, and he protects his sheep, and he leads his sheep. So those are the three things I want to explore with you this morning. First, the good shepherd knows his sheep Verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. We see the personhood of Jesus, and we see the reality, his reality here, first of all, and in, in just the fact that he knows us. And an idea cannot know you. A mystical God in the sky cannot know you. The force, you know, in Star Wars, the force cannot know you. It's It's, it's, not, a, it's not a person. But we see here that Jesus knows his sheep. He knows you. And notice he doesn't just know about you, it says he knows you. Um, He knows you really, really well. He says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, so I know my sheep. What Jesus is saying is, I have existed for all of eternity in a perfectly transparent relationship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in that way, Jesus says he knows you. You know, as a pastor, one of my favorite things to the favorite kind of parts of my ministry is getting to officiate weddings. And, uh, and I, love, I love getting to officiate weddings. And uh, weddings are always so much fun. Um, but my favorite, you know, everybody looks beautiful. Everybody's all dressed up. It's always amazing. Like everybody always looks great on their wedding day. Um, it's, it's really the best you ever look. I, I mean, it's not the best that your life will ever be, but it's definitely the best you will ever look on your, everybody looks straight on their wedding day. And so uh, I, love, I love getting to be a part of, of weddings and, and officiating weddings. Um, my favorite part in the wedding ceremony is, is the vows. Because here in the vows, is, it's, you know, the, the attention on the wedding day is on the bride and groom, but it's, it's really the only time you get to hear them speak. And uh, so there they are, bride and groom on their wedding day, looking fabulous. You know, everybody's been dieting for months, and um, and then they begin to speak. And you know, the groom, like this this really kind of tough, cool guy, and uh, his voice hasn't cracked since he was thirteen. And then he <laughs> begins to, you know, look look his beloved in the eyes and and a vow to love her no matter what. <laughs> and he <laughs> begins to just blubber. Um, it's, it's fantastic, but um, it's really funny. Have you ever thought about what you actually say in your wedding vows? What you're doing is you're standing in front of all your friends, all of your family, on you know, what's probably the happiest day of your life, at least up until that point. You're all dressed up, and you're saying really unromantic things. You don't say, gosh, you look great today. I love you so much. What you're saying is one day things will get worse and I'm still going to love you then. Um, Wedding vows are actually stunningly unromantic and I actually think that the fact that they're not romantic makes them more romantic because you're standing there saying there are things that I don't even know about you yet. No matter how well you know your fiance um, There are things that you can never know about them until you're on the other side of a lifelong promise to that person and so there's a sense in which your whole dating life has just been this marketing campaign (laughs) and you're standing there saying okay I'm done marketing myself and you're about to find out about things that I've been able to hide but I cannot hide under 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 the kind of scrutiny of 24-hour surveillance There's only so much you can know about a person before you married them because in a real sense, everything up to that point was just trying to get them to like you. And so here you are promising that when I find out about you what I cannot conceive of yet, I'm still going to love you. And uh, when I watch you throw up, I'm still going to love you. And when you hurt me, I'm still going to love you. It's startlingly unromantic, and yet the fact that it's unromantic makes it romantic. Because there is a depth of love for your spouse, a depth of knowing your spouse that can only be had once you have promised to love them no matter what. And I say all of that to kind of contrast it with what Jesus is saying here, where he says, I know everything about you. And knowing everything about you, I love you. I love you. Cigna Healthcare, the insurance company, I read this week, just uh, did a study, they did a comprehensive study of the side effects of loneliness on the health of Americans. And here's what they found. 54% of Americans feel like no one really knows them well. 56% of us say that the people that we spend time with are not necessarily present with us in the moment. And 40% say... That they lack companionship, their relationships aren't meaningful, and they feel isolated from others. We are more lonely as a culture than we have ever been as a human race. The health effects are startling. And Jesus is saying, "I know you. I love you. What we all want. See, here's the rub. We want to be known. Like I want to be known because I don't. I don't want to feel lonely." But then there's also the the other side of it. It's like the more I allow you to know me, then the more you're going to know me. (laughs) And there's going to be things that I don't want you to know about me. Jesus says, I know you. And I love you. You have a shepherd who knows you. He knows everything about you. He loves you. He's not a force. He's He's not an idea. He's a person. And he loves you. He knows what you need. And so he brings you into his family. He gives you the community. Of the church, the good shepherd knows his sheep. But secondly, the good shepherd protects his sheep. Verse eleven, Jesus says, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep." And he's making the contrast here between kind of a hired hand shepherd, who's only in it for the money, and who's going to split if there's danger, and an actual shepherd who loves uh, his sheep and is willing to sacrifice himself for them. Jesus is saying, and you know this, there, there, there's danger danger in this world. There are wolves in this world. Um, and a hired hand's run when danger presents itself. And, you know, I think it's easy to hear that and be like, those, you know, slackers, like, what's the deal? But, like, there's, there's a sense in which that's not the worst thing in the world, right? Um, I, I heard a, um, a pastor named Rankin, Wilburn, say this. He said, you know, he's a pastor up in L.A. He says, you know, in Southern California, like... We love our pets. Like some of you are just obsessed with your dog. Um, my parents last night were telling me, I, my dad was like, I just love dogs. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I used to be a dog person until I had children. Um, but here's the thing, you know, even the most like, devoted dog lover, if an 18-wheeler is barreling down on you, you are not gonna push your dog out of the way you know, for the sake of uh, its life. Now, if you really love your dog, you think his dog is the best dog ever, he's been faithful to you, he's never left your side, you might think about it, you might even say you would do it, but you're not gonna do it. You're not gonna jump in front of a Semi for your dog? That would be silly. But Jesus, Jesus says that I am the faithful shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord because I have authority to lay my life down and I have authority to take it back up again. Uh, it, it's really startling, the audacity. Do you hear what he's saying? He says, nobody can take my life from me. I can lay it down and I can pick it back up again. I have the authority to do that. If you were to flip over a few chapters in uh, the Gospel of John, when you get to chapter 19, Jesus is going to the cross and he's, uh, he's appearing before Pontius Pilate. And as he appears before Pontius Pilate, Pilate is like, he's really trying to not kill Jesus. Pilate's trying to do everything he can to not send Jesus to the cross. And, um, and Jesus basically is just silent before Pilate. And in um, John 19, verse 10, Pilate says to Jesus, he says, why do you speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? He's saying, come on, I don't want to kill you, but if you don't say anything, I'm going to have to. And do you know how Jesus responds? This is what Jesus says to Pilate. He says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from my Father. Can you imagine like the chutzpah of standing in front of a judge who has the power to sentence you to death? And he's begging you for a reason to not sentence you to death. And Jesus' response is, the only reason you have that authority is because my Father gave it to you. And so on the cross, Jesus lays down his life. And in his resurrection, he takes it back up again. Why does he do that? He's doing it because he's the good shepherd who protects his sheep. He's doing it for you, he's in complete control. He's laying down his life to protect you from the only thing that can ultimately hurt you, which is you and your sin. He goes to the cross to pay for your sin, the result of which is your death, and that has been paid for by Jesus. Your shepherd protects you. And that means that if you know Jesus, if you know Jesus, you have everything that you truly need. Let me ask you, what do you think would actually be enough? What would actually be enough to satisfy you? What would actually make you happy? It's stunning, I think, here that, um, what Jesus says. You know, I I open the service with this. The most loved Psalm, Psalm 23, says, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus shows up and says, yeah, that's me. The Lord is my shepherd. God Almighty, the one who spoke the world into existence, is my shepherd. And Jesus says, that is me. I'm I'm the shepherd. But Psalm 23 continues and says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I have everything I need because I have a shepherd. What do you think would satisfy you? You have everything you need because you have a shepherd who loves you and protects you. He is good to you. My shepherd knows me. He protects me. And so therefore, thirdly, I follow my shepherd. My shepherd leads me. The good shepherd leads his sheep. I discovered uh, an interesting thing. As I was reading commentaries on this passage this week, uh, most of the time when we think of shepherds, the image that we have is a shepherd driving his sheep. And this is why you you think of uh, shepherds and sheepdogs, and Western shepherds drive their sheep from behind, and they use dogs to kind of corral their sheep. But Eastern shepherds, apparently, they lead their, their flocks. Uh, and it's a, it's a fascinating and, and startling, I think, image of Jesus saying, uh, I'm the one who goes before you. And no other religious leader says this. Buddha says, follow my teaching. Islam says, obey the five pillars of Islam. Jesus says, uh, Christianity says, we follow a Savior who goes before us. Jesus will never ask you to go somewhere that He has not first gone Himself. He will never ask you to go somewhere that he has never been first himself. There's this weird side comment in this passage. Did you read this or pick up on this when, we, um, when I read this? that um, He says in verse 16, it's kind of like this throwaway like side comment. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must also bring them. What is he talking about? He said, I have these sheep in this fold. I have other sheep that are not in this fold, but I must bring them. What is he talking about? Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about you. <laughs> You know, at the end of the passage, it says he's talking to Jews, and and, um, Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. Um, God had chosen the nation of Israel to be his people for his possession, and Jesus comes, and He's almost exclusively ministers to Jewish people. And here in the middle of talking to these these Jewish people who understood and had this identity that said, Yahweh, the God of Israel, he's our shepherd. Jesus says, I am the shepherd But he says, I have other sheep. What he's saying is, he's talking about you. He's talking about Gentiles. Most of us here this morning, I'm assuming, are are not Jewish. He says, I'm going to bring them in, and there will be one flock, the church, and there will be one shepherd, and they will know my voice. Jesus is saying, my sheep know my voice, and you are my sheep. Uh, If you know my voice, then you follow me. My sheep follow me. You know, I said at the beginning of um, a sermon that we tend to... Think of Jesus as an idea more than as a person. And one of the ways that I think that that manifests itself is right here. Because we can say, oh, like, Jesus knows me. Like, I like that. Jesus protects me. I like that. Oh, Jesus, my shepherd, calls me to follow him. Like, ah, I don't like that. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, yes, but not always. Or we have this like cafeteria style approach to following Jesus where, you know, we take what we want and we just kind of leave the rest of it behind. We, um, when we need help, we ask God to help. And we cry out to God, please God, I need a new job. But by the way, God, I'm going to be in charge of how I spend that money when you provide that job for me. Or, God, I really need help with my relationships, but I'm going to be in charge of my love life. Thank you very much. Or, uh, God, my kids are driving me crazy and I don't know what to do, but I'm going to be in charge of how I spend my time. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. When we know Jesus as a person and not just an idea, we follow him, period. The promise is that he will never lead us into a place that he has not first gone before us. But the call is simply to follow him. We don't just cry out to him when we need help. We follow him in the good times and in the bad. We follow him in our work and in our relationships. We follow him in our friendships and in our neighborhoods and in our parenting and with our time and with our money. We follow him. Here's the thing. We follow him not simply because he commands us to follow him. We follow him because he's so good. We follow him because he's good, because he has been faithful to us every step along the way. When we know Jesus not just as an idea, but as a person, we know that he has only ever led us into green pastures. Psalm 23 finishes with these words, says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We follow Jesus because he is so good. He has always gone before us. And when occasionally he calls us to follow him and we're like, I don't like that direction you're leading me. We trust him anyway. We trust him anyway. We follow our shepherd whenever he leads because he is so good. Psalm 3410 says, The lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. He loves you. He knows you. He protects you. And he leads you. So the question is, do you know him? Will you follow him? You know, here's the difference between knowing Jesus as, a, as an idea and knowing him as a person. When we know Jesus just as an idea, we will always live a sort of second-hand spirituality. You know, we may have ideas about Jesus that are true and biblical. And we may, you know, go to church and hear a sermon or we, you know, we read a book or we kind of listen to something that a friend said and we kind of pick up on these like nuggets of truth. And we've got to hold on to these little nuggets because we're living second-hand spiritual lives. But knowing Jesus as a person means knowing him uh, firsthand. <laughs> Having a firsthand relationship with him. What would it look like to have a firsthand relationship with Jesus? Well, i got to tell you, I'm going to uh, really answer that question next week. So it's a three-parter. So come back next week, uh, I really don't have the time to unpack that this morning as much as I would like to. But for now, let me just um, close with this kind of short answer. What would it look like to have a firsthand spiritual kind of relationship with Jesus where you know him as a person? Well, what does he say? He says, my sheep know my voice. My sheep are people who recognize me. How do you recognize the voice of Jesus? We recognize the voice of Jesus because you have spent time with Him. You have developed a familiarity with the voice of Jesus because, in His Word, you you have you have heard His voice regularly. You know it's said that uh, when law enforcement officials are kind of trained to work with counterfeit currency to recognize counterfeit currency that, um, you know, I don't know, FBI, whatever, that what they do is they spend hours and hours and hours with real money. And they study it, and they learn the nuances of it, and they learn the way it feels, and the way it smells, and the way that new bills look, and the way the old bills look. And it's after weeks and weeks and hours and hours of spending time with the real thing, and only then... Uh, do they introduce counterfeit currency into the training program because you need to know the real thing in order to recognize the fake. And Jesus is saying, my sheep are those who recognize my voice. So come back next week. We're going to talk more about how we do that. But let me simply encourage you, this week, this is the voice of Jesus. You know, you have bibles you have smartphones if you don't have a bible or you need one there's a blue one on the ground just take it with you we would love to give you a bible jesus says my sheep recognize my voice are you listening let's pray jesus thank you that you came to make yourself known to us the God who speaks from the mountaintop, the God who speaks as fire, the God who uh, calls down to us from heaven has taken on flesh and become a human being, become a man. Jesus, thank you for making yourself known to us. Would you help us to know your voice? Help us to listen as you call. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you know us. Thank you that you protect us. Would you help us to follow you, we pray in Jesus' name.